Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 506. My name is Minter Dial and I'm your host for this podcast, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. For more information or to check out other shows on the network, please visit evergreenpodcast.com. So this week's interview is with Scott Sandland. Scott is the CEO and co-founder of Cyrano.ai, a natural language understanding system that improves human-to-computer communication and trains people and machines in improved soft skills related to active listening techniques that he honed in his private clinical practice. Given Scott's ambition to improve AI's ability to hold more meaningful conversations, I had to investigate. In this conversation with Scott, we discuss the story and evolution of Cyrano, the challenges of making more meaningful conversation with AI, and his ambition to build a digital therapist that can be given freely to every at-risk teen in America. You'll find all the show notes on minterdial.com. And if you have a moment, go over and drop in a rating and review. And don't forget to subscribe to catch all the future episodes. Now for the show. Scott Sandland, I am thrilled to have you on my show. It's not very often I get somebody who is probably geekier, deeper, and more embedded in this topic of uh, empathy and AI. You are the co-founder of Cyrano.ai, beautiful name, long nose and all. And mm. uh, in your own words, Scott, how would you like to describe who, who you are? Who are you? Wow, that's a that's a much deeper, bigger question than I expected us to start with. That's good. Um, so I am uh, the co-founder uh, of Cyrano.ai, as you said, and uh, my background is in mental health. Um, I would say when you talk about who am I, I am a disruptive innovator, but I I do it with the KPI of how many people are we helping. So I, I think that high level, big snapshot, that's me. I'm disruptive and trying to help people. And you're based out in California, down in the south there, enjoying yep. some fine climate. Um, that's what I know. So that's where you're piped in from. I'm in London. I wonder, So you are also known for being uh, a rather young hypnotherapist. So tell us about the hypnotherapy. Sure. Yeah. So I was, uh, I was the world's youngest hypnotherapist for a couple of years in a row. Um, the International Medical and Dental Hypnotherapy Association uh, recognized me as the world's youngest for a few years there. Um, and, and I just and found it really 18. Mm -hmm. So I was quite young. I was going to college. I was a water polo player. And the long story short of it is I got hurt. Um, opiates don't work well on me for whatever reason. I'm just one of those people that uh, I have a very high opiate tolerance for pain control. So I could get very, very high off those uh, pills and the medication but it wouldn't make me feel good, right? It would just make me useless as a person. So uh, the net net of that whole thing was I ended up trying everything. And towards the end of the list was hypnotherapy. I uh, tried it completely skeptically, uh, but out of desperation. Uh, it just really just went in on a flyer. And it worked better than anything. You know, I, I, I felt relief. Uh, for the first time at that time in, you know, it'd been over a year since I had felt comfortable and uh, it fixed things better than anything else. And so I started learning it for myself. I uh, started working with friends of mine just sort of organically, um, which is probably not wise, but, you know, I was 18 and uh, my friends were curious what it was happening and why it was working. And they were athletes too. So they had chronic injuries. Um, and so I started helping them and helping people just started feeling good. And uh, so one thing led to another. And shortly thereafter, I was taking classes and uh, getting certified. A beautiful story. Um, my brother-in-law, a uh, water polo player from hmm. out, out West as well. Um, hypnotherapy, as opposed to these opioids, I'm wondering if there's a, a link, a sort of a, a you know, non-correlation between if you aren't good on opioids, you might be more predisposed to hypnotherapy. Is there any research about that? Not that I know of, but I can say that pain control is the most researched and well-documented areas of uh, hypnotherapy. And it's, it's great at it. Hypnosis is a fantastic uh, method for reducing pain. It's just, it's, 
I'm a very utilitarian person. Like I, I want things to work and it just works and it works really well with no side effects. Um, and like, you know, I've seen clients for, you know, skull surgeries, with no anesthesia, a bunch of dental surgeries, you know, things like that. Um, and I've worked with a bunch of people uh, with chronic pain uh, to help them get off their opiates. So pain control was a major part of my practice, which actually led me into working with opiate addicts, which led me into working with uh, drug addicted adolescents, which led me to Cyrano because I ended up opening a clinic, having about a dozen practitioners working for me from, you know, psychotherapist to life coach and everywhere in between. Uh, we had a dozen or so at any given time uh, working with uh, the drug rehab centers with at-risk teens, you know, that population looking to help them to get relief, to get back in control of their life and, and all that. And that's where, you know, the, uh, the really difficult conversations uh, for my career that I just, I got used to started coming from. It's funny, um, just yesterday I was having a late tea with some French friends, two of whom are dentists, and we actually were talking about hypnotherapy as a dentist and and the 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 nervousness that these two dentists um, talked sure. about, like, well, if it doesn't cover the nerve ending, that's a piece of, you know, that's not good. I don't want to be injecting that. But the thing that really strikes me, and I think we're going to get into this, is this notion of pain. because. I have this feeling that in society, we are trying to avoid pain at all cost. Yet at some yeah. level, pain is natural. It's a natural indicator of our body. And I was wondering, you know, like, and, and pain is the most concrete decider of consciousness that we have in our body. Well said. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, we have motivation towards pleasure and away from pain. And that's it. Those are, those are the only two things we have is towards good, away from bad, and, you know, variations and, and little uh, tweaks on that, but that's it. And so no, a, a motivation away from pain, physical pain, psychic pain, emotional pain, whatever we're talking about, you know, it's, this is bad, get me away from it. Um, and it is our strongest driver. It is the one that generates instant gratification much better than towards pleasure. Um, towards pleasure is wonderful. There's pros and cons to both. Um, and one of the great things of get me out of here, get me away from this, is it pushes hard and generates a lot of force. Uh, what motivation away from tends to lack is direction and focus. And so if you say, I'm standing at point A, get me as far from point A as possible, there's 360 degrees of options. Um, and let's just call it half of them are good and half of them are bad, just to make it up. But you know, I'm in pain. I want to get out of pain. Half of the ways out of pain are good, healthy things. Do physical therapy, you know, talk to the doctor about your aching knee, whatever it is. And the other half are get wasted so that you don't feel anything and get, you know, chemically dependent on these opiates and, 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 and. Um, and so there is this important piece that is feedback, that is information that is your your natural systems letting you know that something's wrong that needs to be addressed and then it is you know our our higher functioning job to come up with the best what should i do about it love it i'm gonna i'm, I'm enjoying this already listen um Cyrano, so Cyrano.ai. Mm -hmm. uh you named it after the beautiful play uh de bergerac bringing into this notion of democratizing and get, getting therapy specifically into teen suicide therapy, yep. but also uh, for helping creating conversations. And, and I wanted to ask you about your purpose because I love purpose-driven companies. And the fact is that you, your purpose uh, spoke to me in many ways. And I'll read it out. It says, while there are many great use cases for artificial intelligence to help improve society, we see opportunity to prove AI's ability to have more meaningful conversations. Just crazy how fun that is. So what do you mean by more meaningful conversations? So to me, language defines humanity. It is the thing that separates us from everything else in the universe. It is our ability to share ideas. That's it. Like that's, that is profoundly special. And we are really proud of whales for making noise um, that you know has accent and emotion in it, and that's great. And we are overhyped about 
Coco the gorilla, um, no in communication, which is not re like it was pretty good at sign language, but we we dressed that up quite a bit, which was fun. Um, but like anytime there's even a little hint of oh my gosh, this thing can communicate, like we jump on that, and which is why we're jumping on ChatGPT, which is amazing technology, and I'm not discounting it in any way. But the one of the reasons for this response is it's it's flirting with the most human thing. And you know, my family is a family of conversations. We are, we're indoorsy. Um, like, like my family isn't one of those, oh, it, it, we went on a hike together or, oh, we went and did this. My family sits around and has coffee or tea or wine and we just have wonderful chit chats. And that's, that is our culture. And, uh, and so this idea of, using resources to empower conversations um, and especially like meaningful, high value conversations. That's, that's everything. And that's why we love the internet. That's why we love the cell phone. That's why we love the telegraph and the printing press. And anytime it makes the world a little bit smaller and allows us to share our thoughts more effectively, uh, humans are just drawn to it. It makes me think of two connecting dots. The first is Byron Reese, who wrote the book about the fourth age. He says the first age, the two technologies they invented were fire and language and, yeah. and, and how that the fire helped us build the brain, which allowed us to bring language to the fore. And, um, and this idea of, of communication being so vital the, in, the, in the military, they say that the most important thing you have to protect is the line of communication. And Absolutely. I kind of think there's a link because it is our line to humanity, which it turns out is also useful for things like, you know, what time are we going to go to dinner or send in the troops or whatever. Right. And, and anytime you can't get a hold of someone now that you should, you know, like by your standards, like when you expect to get a hold of a person and you can't get a hold of them, it's remarkably frustrating. And, uh, there's just all these moments where when you don't feel heard, when you don't feel audienced and recognized, and when you're trying to make a point. Uh, I mean, I just had a dinner party at my house last night with uh, some family and friends and all that stuff. And there was a moment where three of us all wanted to talk. And one of them was my six-year-old son. Uh, and so he was literally standing on the chair and, uh, you know, just really trying to hold court. And two other people were trying to have two different conversations. And I felt, and I, you know, I leaned back and I was just like, okay, Three people can't be talking at once. And I, I leaned back and, you know, took my turn um, and was patient. But in that moment, there was a there was a germ of frustration in there where I was like, I want to express myself. And these two jerks who I love so much are uh, are in the way of me expressing myself. It is it is the thing that we want. We want to feel heard and recognized. And the absence of that is loneliness and loneliness is one of the worst things you can feel when you talk about motivation away from pain, very few things are as disruptive to a human as feeling isolated and lonely. And the solution to that, wherever it comes, you know, whether that's, uh, you know, a, a shared hobby or, uh, you know, even a sports team we have in common or whatever, as soon as we can find that thing that ingroups us together and allows us to talk, uh, it is relieving and satisfying in, in profound ways. This notion of being, feeling heard, one of your, the purposes of, of Cyrano is to get in there and get that therapy in, in a free way to, to them uh, as, as and when it's needed. Mm. And I, and, and while you, you're, you position as being preventative, I was wondering to what extent or how do you evaluate how we've got to this situation? This, the, these, these high risk uh, or higher rates of suicide, the, yeah. the higher rates of loneliness, when we are all so connected, where we all have the phones, where, gosh, you know, that it's never been easier to be connected. Yes. Uh, but, but at a different level, like, you know, you were talking about, you know, uh, that stage of humanity conquering the cold, right? You know, we were huddled around a campfire in a cave drawing on the walls. I mean, that's a, that's an intimate connection. And texting with my friend in New York 
hey, it was great to see you while you were in town. When are you going to be back? Hey, I'm going to be out there in a little while. Let's grab lunch. That's not as intimate. And so there's a, a quality versus quantity argument that can be made there. Um, but yeah, so I mean, you know, doing the work, you know, being a, a clinician and, and sitting in front of people and just giving them the opportunity to feel recognized. And, you know, because of the training and the background and the experience, I can help connect dots and show them patterns in their thinking or point out holes in their thinking. But I'm, I'm actively listening. I'm paying complete attention to them. I'm being present. And, you know, the, it's no surprise that just that just the the act of being audienced and having a person sincerely appreciating your situation is therapeutic. It's healthy. It's nurturing. And there are people who only need and want that from their therapist. And obviously, there's people who are you know outside of that. Um, but there are people who that's all they need is just someone to help them get the momentum of okay, I'm on the right track. The progress I'm making is working someone is telling me, you know, the pat on the backs and all those things. That's part of this. But then also the other part is when I'm having that conversation with the person, how effectively I'm actively listening. You know, so in an easy case as the practitioner, if I'm distracted by what do I want to have for lunch? That's an easy one. You know, like that's a bad thing to be thinking about, but it's happened to humans before. Or I'm thinking about my last client because they were more upsetting uh, or more urgent or critical. Or my next client is one that I'm, I've been worried about all week. So I know they're coming. So I'm just little moments of uh, awareness and being present are being sort of stripped from that one uh, client who's in front of me who's, you know, needs the time. One of the great things is the AI can be fully present. The AI can pay attention to everything. It can have no ego and it can compare this perfectly given the right data set with everything else it's ever uh, been exposed to. So maybe an incomplete data set, but from the data set it has, it has 100% retention. So you say this, you know, relatively all knowing, being very present, being sincere, only focused on you and optimizing for helping. That is the therapist we all want. That is, you know, the sort of sage guru sitting on a mountain uh, and what if we could build an AI that could be that for us? I, and I think we are we are closer to that than people thought a year ago. Yeah, it seems that way. I, I guess suppose the you know nitpicking, it is not being sincere. It is being perceived as sincere. That's the key for point. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's just trying to win, right? It, it's but. So are a lot of practitioners, so are a lot of therapists. I, I remember one of the most effective sentences I would say to, I, you know, I was working with a, a room of maybe 10 uh, drug addicted guys under the age of 25. So there's 10 guys, they're all in their early 20s, They've got a bunch of testosterone, uh, they're all addicted to something, half of them are there because the judge is making them be there. Um, and one of the most effective things I could say to that group was, I don't care about any of you. And, you know, it's just sort of a state break, you know, the pattern interrupt where they're used to people holding their hands and saying, look, we all love you and we want you to get better. We and care. Guy, yeah. And I was the guy who said, look, you are all strangers to me. And uh, if one of you relapses today, I am going to have a snack and move on with my life. I don't care. But I want to help you get better. And I'm here to help you get better. And I'm going to try as hard as everybody, but I'm not going to care. I'm just going to be a guy who knows answers. And if you want answers, I'll share them. And to a certain group of the uh, you know subset of that population, that's what they needed. They needed someone who wasn't going to care about them. They needed somebody who was dispassionate and candid. And I was able to say, that's a really effing bad idea. And if you want to do it, okay, I'm not going to try to stop you, but I am not going to pretend like it's an okay idea. And, and so sincerity, I, I think, oh, well, I'd get rid of the word sincerity. I'd rewrite it with the word congruence. And I think congruent is um, more utilitarian. I think there's more, uh, there's, there's more usefulness uh, to congruence. I mean, obviously I want sincerity in my relationships, but congruence in your communication 
and that the follow through is going to match the words. That's what we want when we need help. There, there's something you said in, in, in that, which reminded me of something I also read about what you're up to. And this idea of winning a conversation, because that at sort of an eyebrow razor, because uh-huh. in the testosterone filled, it's all about me speaking, 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 and I'm not feeling heard. I want to win arguments in the divis- divis- divisive world we live in where politics is is prone to you know erupt all over the place. It's about me winning over and beating you up. And, and and so how do you articulate in the coding of a Cyrano the idea of winning in the way that you mean it? Yeah. And this was actually uh it's a great question. It's uh really connected to the heart of Cyrano. Uh so the style of therapy that we taught a lot at uh it's called the Newport Clinic was the clinic that I was the executive director of. Um the one that we found was working a lot, which is not original to us, and I don't want to make it uh, sound like I'm taking credit for this idea. It's playing chess against the person's problem, but not against the person. So you're a 16, 17-year-old boy, and you decide to start smoking. You know smoking's bad for you. Everyone knows smoking cigarettes is bad for you. No one, no one on the planet thinks it's okay for you. Everyone knows cigarettes are bad. So why does anybody start smoking? Because they're willing to sacrifice their future health to get something now. And so they say, hey, I'm 14 and I'm angry at my dad for no reason. I've got too much testosterone I'm, you know, and I'm feeling outgrouped and I'm looking for a tribe. If I can smoke a cigarette with that group of people, I'm not going to get bullied or picked on. I'm going to be in a pack and I'm going to give up my future health for my immediate social safety or feeling cool or feeling rebellious or whatever. So playing chess, I'm sacrificing a pawn to get position or to capture a rook or whatever it is. And so what we would teach is we're going to start on opposite sides of the table, but I want to come around and show you, hey, here's the problem with your strategy is you're giving up this pawn too early for not enough benefit. So I want to undermine your strategy and then say, here's the way to get that same positioning without giving up as much. And so you still get everything. I'm not asking you to sacrifice. I'm asking you to stop sacrificing. And I'm asking you to reduce your sacrifice. And now we're playing chess against the problem, not against each other. And so when you look at it from the, and and that was a big part of the philosophy of how we wanted to train the system, uh, which was to understand that what we want to do is optimize for uh, mental states. And there's things called uh, predicate mental states. So you, uh, easiest example is you're rarely angry first. You're usually something like scared before you're angry. And angry kind of comes as, your, as the big brother of fear. Um, you know, it kind of shows up late to protect. And so there's this predicate state. You're usually confused before you learn. You're usually scared before you're angry. It's, you know, there's these patterns that emerge in, in the way uh, our feelings and thoughts work. And so if we can look at hierarchies and, and patterns and say, okay, this is a pattern that a person goes through before they make decisions. And one of them is desire, ability, reason, need, commitment. And so you see a person go through that process. They want something, then can they have it? Uh, should they have it? Do they really need this? Okay, I'm going to go do it. And you watch them think through that. Well, if we can linguistically place a person on that hierarchy, we then know what we need to do to get them to the next spot, to the next spot, to the next spot, which is a big part of therapy. You, you figure out where a person is in a continuum uh, of commitment. You know, are you going to do your physical therapy? Are you going to do this? Are you going to do that um, or not? And then we have to get them to make that next commitment and move them through that process. And it's very much guiding. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast, Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. 
Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcast, and now available on YouTube. I, I love it. I, I can't help but think that the analogy is, and this is sexist, but feels a little bit more masculine. Hmm. This idea of winning, uh, not that, you know, women don't want to win, uh, obviously, but there is a uh, a feeling that, that the chess analogy and this idea of the victory is what it's about uh, feels like a more masculine approach. And I wanted to just circle back on something you said before, which is you used the word candor. And I would like to uh, add the word of discipline and structure. Because mm. without candor, like honesty, oh, you're the best. You came in 17th out of 17. Here, have a star. Sure. No, you're not the best. You may have tried hard, but you, you're not the best. You're 17th I mean, best. Or... You're the 17th best. Let's stop lying. Have some candor in this stuff. And then the idea of structure, like a chess game, which has rules. Mm -hmm. in, in our society, I, I have this feeling that this lack of candor, the, you know, maybe a Pollyannish kind of way of looking mm -hmm. at life and a... Maybe a parenting issue of not knowing how to put down rules and boundaries has also brought us to this level of unhappiness and and uh, mental health. Or both parents working because everything's so expensive. And so you have two exhausted parents who aren't good at parenting. They're just humans, you know, like all of us, like all of a sudden you you go to the hospital, you come back with a kid, and you're like, oh, there was no test. Uh, we don't know if I know what I'm doing yet. We don't. There is no one, there was no like bar exam that I, I took to say, okay, now I can drive a car, but none of that for raise a kid. So you're just two busy people in your late twenties, early thirties or whatever, you know, in your twenties or thirties. And, and now all of a sudden you have this human and your job and you're exhausted and you don't know what's right. And you won't know because the feedback loops are really slow and okay, let's give the kid a trophy for getting 43rd place. Here's the thing about that. The kid knows it's garbage too. Once they're 12, you know, when you're six, you, you don't care. You're just driven to soccer practice. But when you're 12, 13, 14, and someone's cheering on your 43rd place or your 17th place or whatever, you feel that it's hollow. You know that there were 11 or 12 people in front of you. You know that. And so everyone, you know, Everyone trying to dress that up, it feels insincere and sort of saccharine. Um, so you get these kids who know that that isn't satisfying to them. Um, you get parents who are trying their best to figure things out. You get this complicated world of moving fast. Uh, I believe we are we are no longer in the information age. I think uh, I wrote a blog post about this a couple of years ago. Um, but it's increasingly true that we are in the post-information age. You know, you look at someone's Instagram feed, that's not information, that's marketing. And now all these people have their highlight reels out there and everyone's just comparing highlight reels and, and you know, Photoshop airbrushed versions of themselves. And it's, it's just fake. And that insincerity, that lack of intimacy and, and, and true connection, that's the problem. I mean, it's one of the many problems where we talk about communication being so important. When we're all transmitting fake information, we don't believe the information coming back either. And we just know that everyone's shouting propaganda at each other instead of hearing each other and having real conversations. Because I'm not going to listen to your LinkedIn feed or your Instagram feed because I know those are marketing. And I know that's not your real you. And it's like, does anybody really believe the dating profile? No, no. Everyone knows that that's, you know, five friends wrote that together over a glass of Pinot. And, uh, and so getting back to authentic conversation, like what you and I get to do here, if yeah. I stop monologuing, is, uh, is that idea of actually exchanging and actually wondering instead of just, you know, transmitting speaks to me in volumes, this notion, this fake image story, the the lack of candor, the lack of ability to say something that could be painful to hear. You know, you're fucked up. 
yeah you 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 didn't try hard enough and and those then that you know of course there's nuance in all of this because if it's all about you know slamming somebody once again and society has a way of of slamming parents and so there's it's it's a very complex world it is in the time that uh, ha- we have left here, Scott, I, I want to get into a little bit more about Cyrano itself. Um, sure. I've never had a chance to try it, but I'm hoping that well, we'll get a, a glimpse of, of it after this Zoom call, because mm. Cyrano is applied to business um, cases, helping customer service and, and other ways for uh, businesses to operate better and understand the language of, of uh, clients and such. But let's start with, to what extent you're, you're a therapist, you're a hypnotherapist, and uh, to what extent are you a coder? And how important is that in this world of Cyrano.ai? Sure. So I am not a coder. I know a little bit of HTML and I can edit HTML pretty well. I can write HTML not very well. Um, but I understand computer systems at a, a whiteboard level is probably the best way to describe my knowledge base. And I can whiteboard well with people who know what they're doing. And I can read whiteboarding absolutely well enough. You know, like people can, I can understand the language, but I can't speak it. I can understand whiteboarding quite well. And so as we're archetyping or architecting, excuse me, um, as we're architecting what we wanted Cyrano to do, uh, I was very effective there. And then obviously there's a, you know, a handoff of that relay race where I become you know, incredibly unuseful. Um, but that ideation stage, uh, I can do quite a lot. And um, going back to your point about the sort of the, the chess winning and losing piece, yeah, I think there is. I think you're right that there is a, a component of that that's you know sort of traditionally masculine, competitive, and all that. But that is how the AI learns, you know. And and that's one of the big things that everyone's talking about with uh, GANs, you know, the the general uh, the adversarial neural networks, right? That's generative in nature. So it's doing that by competing against itself. And, you know, playing chess against itself, playing go against itself, playing, you know, Dota or whatever the thing is, it's, it's playing against itself to get better and better and better. And, you know, iron sharpens iron, steel sharpens steel kind of thing. But then transitioning that self-competitiveness then into the conversation. So it's still not adversarial in nature when it's deployed is, is part of all of that as well. Mm. I'm fascinated by that. So I, I asked you about the coding because what, uh, I mean, for, for all the hype that's around uh, chat GPT and, and the other uh, types of bots, Baidu and everybody else is, is uh, on these LLMs. For you, and, and I've also talked to our mutual friend, Grin Lord, about this. What, uh, what are the major obstacles for getting Cyrano to the next level? What, what are you, I mean, is it the getting the right data? Is it uh, teaching it to figure out the adversarial learning mechanisms? Is it uh, removing bias, um, giving it too much agency or not enough? What, how would you describe the, the biggest obstacles? So it's a crawl, walk, run, uh, as it should be. And uh, what I look at is, confidence threshold for increasingly important conversation. So the most protected thing should be the health of children. So we have all these wonderful laws protecting that, you know, HIPAA laws and and because they're a minor and, and all these things. So that's the most protected thing, good. And we just kind of move backwards and we just keep moving backwards and we move all the way back to a car dealership. And that is not a protected thing because no one cares. Um, you know, I mean, there's rules about lying and cheating, but uh, we, we all know what happens when you go into a car dealership. It's a negotiation between two people over an automobile. And that seems pretty fair. We're all going in with our head up. There's no vulnerable person in that conversation, hopefully. Um, and so you start, it's a high value conversation. This is tens of thousands of dollars. This is a big purchase. This is a negotiation. This is all the stuff. And you start there and you keep moving. So the way Cyrano, uh, and it's kind of a weird response to your question, but I, I think it answers it actually, is we're going through, you know, sort of uh, gates of increasing ethics requirements uh, and, and the ability to do harm if we're bad at this. And so, 
the approach we took was to not move fast and break things, uh, which is a reasonable approach in, in entrepreneurship and innovation. We decided to be very deliberate and slow. And so we said, we're going to, we're going to come up with a method. We're going to do it in lower ethical values, but still financially important conversations, and then just keep going up and moving through those scenarios to increasing levels of regulation and uh, ethical uh, stringency. Mm. So that's interesting. So in the, in the notion of depth, if you will, uh, or the, 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 the length with which you can entertain a coherent, congruent conversation about sale of a car is, is parametered because you're not going to start talking about Nietzsche right in the middle of right. selling a car. Right. Yet, as, for having done many conversations with bots uh, that are attempting to be more and more appropriate, getting stronger, I can see how quickly it goes it goes bar me because I, I whether it's yeah. the, the the chaotic mind of brains or my own brain it very quickly goes down so that presumably within the within this you have the ethical ideas then the 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 branch net decision making processes yep. how far down can you go with probabilities in so, in the mind yeah so the way we decided to build Cyrano was to not be a chatbot. Um, and this is kind of odd, um, but I think we just got lucky and got proven right. We'll see. Um, we decided that what we wanted to do was just be a piece of the engine and not be the LLM. And this was before LLMs existed. We said, uh, we genuinely said either DeepMind or OpenAI were two of the four companies we named. Um, uh, I go and Pat, I think were the two others. Um, but we said, one of these guys is going to figure out the conversational level and sort of the touring test kind of stuff. We're not trying to do that and we're not trying to deceive anybody. And that's a, that's a really important part of what we've built is we never want to pretend we're something that we aren't. And uh, some guys just tried to do a, uh, a peer support app with ChatGPT and, and tried to be deceptive about it. And that's that was a huge fundamental problem in what they did is as soon as you're trying to be deceptive, you're wrong. Um, it's just, it's an easy rule. Um, and so what we want to do is at this stage and what we are doing is empowering the person or agent having the important conversation. So we tell the car dealership, say this, not that. We tell the real estate agent, say this, not that during a listing presentation, say this during uh, a showing, say this if you want, if things go bad and you need to deescalate. So we're telling a human what to do about the person. But we're not telling them how to do their job. We're just telling them, hey, here's what you need to pay attention to. In Prompting this them. Yeah. yeah. And and just very bullet point, plain English. Just do this, not that. Like very easy to read. And we're doing that in increasingly difficult environments. And so you do it with a car dealer. You do it with a real estate agent. You do it with a guy who sells boats. You do it with a person who's selling life insurance. You do it with a person who's doing customer success. You do it with a person in healthcare. And you just keep moving into, you know, increasingly stringent uh, regulations, but you're helping the people having the conversation. And that's a safe place for us to be. Well, I mean, even though, let's say life insurance and uh, buying a big home, your first home, these are conversations that are not only high value, but uh, can relate into your philosophy of life. I, I have on my Dialogos a woman, Joe Petroni, who's an architect, and she talks about the power of that conversation about building your first home. Anyway, so I think a lot of conversations can become meaningful, even oh, talking about a sports team, uh, providing you get into the nuts and bolts of it. So the, the notion that I wanted to uh, spend our last time on is, is this idea of encoding empathy. Mm -hmm. And obviously, it's an important topic for you. To what extent is it sort of at the top end of the importance of topic in creating your Cyrano? It's it's a big part of our why, um, because it's the thing that we've all talked about systems lacking is, you know, soft skills, empathy, you know, this this ability to to relate in some way. And. I, I think empathy is there's a utility to it as well. So when I when I give lectures, I say, how many people know the difference between like you know a normal computer and AI? 
You could you explain that to your grandma? And, you know, most hands go up, you know, at this point now, depending on the age of the room, half the hands go up, something like that. When I say, who knows the difference between sympathy and empathy? Like no hands go up. It's, a, it's, it's interesting that fewer people have that one, you know, sort of their head wrapped around it. Humanity. Um, yeah. <laughs> hey, who knows about computers and hands go up? Who knows about the person to your left? And a lot of people, you know, keep their hands down. And, and the difference is sympathy is if you say I had a bad day, sympathy is me saying, oh, that sucks. I'm sorry. That's sympathy. Okay. But empathy is me saying, how can I help? And meaning it, wanting to help, like an intrinsic desire in me to improve your situation in some way and, and wanting that for you and, and wanting to know enough that I can be effective at improving your situation in some way and asking the right questions so that I can do that. And like I said, there's utility in that um, because if I ask a whole bunch of questions and ask the wrong questions and move in the wrong direction, we're missing. And so we, we need to make sure we're pointing in that direction. And that's, I think, the way that we can get computer systems to understand empathy is this is ultimately functional. Um, and what we want to do is pay attention not just to the objective, but to the subjective. And as we're building systems that can optimize subjectively, we're building things that can move in the direction of empathy. Well, let me uh, push back a little bit uh, Please, yeah. uh, in one area, which is for me, empathy is not the action that you take, the, the desire to help. Mm -hmm. the, the initial idea for me of empathy is merely understanding why something happened and how it makes you feel. Then the action it, where, where it, this is important with regard, as far as I'm concerned with the computer, is the intention. Mm -hmm. What are you trying to do? And of course, intention is hard to see as a receptor, but if you, when you're the actor encoding it, the intention, of course, is to help. Then I can understand that. But I, I, I really look at back to the initial question of feeling heard. I think that our gap in society is our inability to listen which Agreed. basically means an inability to understand. And, and if I, I, when I went to university in America, I, I studied women's studies. And one of the books that really just turned me upside down was you just don't understand men and women in conversation. And this idea was that Dr. Deborah Tannen wrote a great book well before Venus and Mars one uh, is that um, when you hear a problem, jump in, I want to fix it. And we yeah. think that's what everyone's looking for, but that's the masculine approach. I want to help. Whereas actually, you know, my, my husband, I only wanted to complain to you and just right. listen. Right. I just, I just want to think out loud and I want to process this information and I want you to ask gentle probing questions um, and, and then say, so what do you think you should do? What do you think you should do? What are you looking for? And then the person arrives at their own conclusion. I do this with my wife all the time, where I will actually say out loud, wait, stop trying to fix this and just listen. And she goes, oh, sorry, got it. And because uh, she, you know, she came from consulting. Um, and so her back, she's been trained to, when someone tells you a problem, figure out how to fix it fast. Um, and like, we've gotten to the point, you know, obviously in our marriage, where we can just say, no, 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 no. I just need you to listen while I talk about this. And, and, and that's, I, I agree with you. Yeah, so it's very meta. But um, going back to this idea, this notion of encoding empathy, mm -hmm. uh, the the challenge, and I'm not looking at it from a programming standpoint per se, but how does one go about creating that empathy? Is it is it um, you know, just in a constant receptive mode, like Eliza? You're asking more, why are you feeling that? Why are you saying that? I, I look at, I, I think, I'm, I mean, the number of conversations I've had with people working on this, uh, I'd be interested to hear what you think are the obstacles to encoding empathy into yeah. Cyrano. So, yeah, there is that like sort of Rogerian therapy where you get to ask like eight questions over and over, like, and how did that make you feel? And what was that like for you? Oh, and how did that make you feel? And, and that sort of lazy cliche therapist, you know, Rogerian stuff. Um, uh, yet I would say, Scott, better than a lot of human beings on this earth. Right. Which is why it became a movement. 
is just here's some simple rules. Just reflect back to them and without adding anything. And that's the idea of being client-centered is I'm just going to reflect back and ask uh, questions that aren't leading. So non-leading questions and just letting you go. Um, but I would say when we're talking about adding empathy, I think there's a, a presupposition that goes into it, which is I presuppose what you want to be. And maybe I asked you explicitly, but what do you want to be instead? So you say, I'm hungry. And I say, okay, well, you know, if we do the, the lame dad joke, hey, hungry, I'm dad. What do you, you know, but I'm hungry. To me, that implies you want to be not hungry anymore. You want to be satiated and full. Um, and sometimes the opposite of your complaint is the right answer. I'm hungry. I want to be full. But that's an easy one. When it's I'm frustrated, what do you want to be instead of frustrated? And having a system understand at a vector level, at a mathematical level is really where this has to go, is I'm currently X, I want to be Y, and the path to get from X to Y is this. And it's probably not a straight line. And so we think about, okay, I'm grieving, I'm sad, I'm lonely, I'm isolated, I'm this less than negative feeling, whatever that is. And I want to be confident, happy, peaceful, whatever this positive feeling is. Like I said, that's, that's not a straight line and it probably doesn't last you know, 10 seconds to get from one to the other. There's, there's a process there. And so if we can help AI understand, okay, when you're telling me your problem, how can I elicit specifically this emotion um, and understand that when a person's asking for an outcome, they're usually asking for an emotion associated with that outcome. Um, and so if we can figure out what that emotion is and then understand what that path is emotionally and help a person progress through that path, they don't even need to get there as long as they're getting there. And if the AI system can help a person identify the path, identify the sort of the waypoints and get them on their way, that's an amazing thing uh, that will be you know, very difficult to build, but we're on our way. And in part of that, what I'm imagining, Scott, is this challenge of tagging right, or, or coding, if you will, or allowing the computer to understand what is meant. Because let's say red, well, is a color, but it might be red, I'm blushing, red, I'm angry. <laughs> and I read a book and so many yeah. other different. Or I'm feeling blue. You can stick with colors and still stay confusing. Um, exactly. <laughs> it's... <laughs> And in, so in your in this development of Cyrano, to, to what extent is this tagging notion one of the yeah. major complications? So uh, the, the one I mentioned earlier, desirability, reason, need, commitment. This is one of the first ones we did. Um, and this comes from motivational interviewing, which is uh, you know, sort of a subset of the newer waves of uh, cognitive behavioral therapy um, is easy enough. It's, it's not exactly right, but let's call it that. Um, so motivational interviewing has this idea of desirability, reason, need, commitment. So then what we need to do is figure out what are the linguistic tells that allow me to understand that a person is at ability, but not at reason, or is using a lot of need, but not a lot of desire or ability, because sometimes you're at a different point in the process and, and figuring out what the linguistics are of a person in this one, do they use a little bit of, you know, the first and the second and all the third? Or do they use all three when they get to the third place? What's that look like? And so what we're paying attention to is not tonality or rate of speech or any of those. Those are great. Uh, other people are doing those. Um, we're not doing anything with facial features. Other people are doing those. That's all great. You know, Paul Ekman's work is fascinating. Um, what we're looking at is much more the actual words. Uh, you know, I want to buy a car. I can buy a car. I should buy a car. I need to buy a car. I will buy a car. I'm buying a car. I bought a car. Uh, that's real easy to see the linguistic difference at sort of those stages, but finding the nuances of those. So desirability, reason, need, commitment. Great. Confusion to learning. Great. Uh, scared to angry. Great. We start finding these patterns of emotional processes that we go through and language that is associated with uh, definitively this one, not that one, um, or with high probabilities, this one, not that one. And so we start finding that and understanding that there are these natural paths that we are predisposed to sort of navigate down 
you know, for better or worse, vicious and virtuous cycles that we all have. And that's the tagging and labeling that Cyrano is one of the companies doing that. And we're doing it sort of with our, you know, lens and other companies are doing it with more a sentiment analysis, uh, which I think is, uh, we're getting diminishing returns on the value of that. Um, but there's other ones that are a lot like that, that are uh, growing. And so the libraries of those grow. And once we get to a good enough number, we get to, you know, like chat GPT is for conversation and knowledge, but for soft skills and empathy. It's fascinating. This idea of the probability of a word meaning this, and I suppose the computer, the ideal is the computer ends up learning how to assess the probability itself, as opposed to you. And compare it to. Yeah, and, and also I, over time. So it's not just one sentence, because then we want to look at over the course of this conversation, your trajectory in the conversation. Well, I've been loving this, Scott, uh, this um, uh, understanding how you're going about building Cyrano, uh, you know, because obviously you have the bigger dream, but we need to get there. And you, you mentioned right. that with, you know, with your wife at the restaurant. So the execution getting there. And of course, it'd be lovely if you had a computer that would understand my emotional expressions as well as my tonality and, and, and emoticons and everything and, and knew everything, but shit, we're not, we're not at artificial not general intelligence. <laughs> Do you think AGI is, or, you know, the classic question, is it out there? Are you a believer? How long? Uh, the answer I've been giving for a while, and I, I'm going to stick with it is quantum computing plus 18 months. So as soon as we get to quantum computing, we really need that. Computationally, um, AGI is very, very heavy. And we're talking about like large language models and chat GPT. Chat GPT is amazing. And it is a long, 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 long way from AGI. There's just a bunch of stuff that under the hood, it's not even attempting to do that are, you know, requirements for, for AGI. And so I think computationally, we're going to need quantum computing to have something that's really, really there. Um, and it also depends on your definition of AGI, but, but that's what I'm going to go with. It'll come. And I think because of guys like Sam Altman and, and people like that. Uh, at OpenAI. At OpenAI. Yeah, the, the, the head of OpenAI. I think he's, I'm really glad that he and Satya Nadella are talking to each other, the, the CEO of Microsoft. Those two guys being in charge of what's happening right there uh, lets me sleep well at night. Um, so I think moving wisely and slowly in the direction that we are moving, it won't drop on us one day. It will be, you know, there will be acclimation points like ChatGPT that we'll be uh, dealing with over the next few years. And I'm assuming your appreciation of Nadella is his em empathic strain. Yes, he... He is a rare leader, uh, absolutely rare leader, especially uh, in the tech space. And we mapped them, by the way. We mapped all the tech leaders. We grabbed their Twitter feeds and we we grabbed their last 2,000 tweets and we we made a map of them. And, and uh, Satya Nadella is a, a profoundly special leader in the tech world for his ability to combine big picture thinking, make bold decisions, have a background and underpinning in engineering, but be so empathetic and really understand the human condition. Like you just, you don't find people like that. Um, and so having him and Sam Altman, who's obviously also in charge of Y Combinator for a long time. So what the two of them have in their heads, what they've synthesized and that they want to make the world better and they're not chasing quarterly profits because they know they don't have to, they can play a bigger game. That's the, that's the direction we need to be going in and, I only hope that Cyrano can be a very, very small part of making those two guys more effective. That is a beautiful mission, Scott. I, um, I just, as you're speaking, I was thinking about how I, uh, I fed my book Artificial Empathy into Watson to see mm. what Watson had to say about me. Um, Scott, on these fine, lovely, positive thoughts, um, how can someone get to understand Cyrano? Uh, learn more about it or learn more about you, your writing, where would you like people to go? Sure. LinkedIn is the best place to find me. I, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Uh, if you go to Cyrano.ai, great. We can set you guys up. Anybody who wants like a demo account for a couple of weeks just to play with it. Uh, we're, we're happy to set up people 
So it will, it will give you a report on every single person in your email inbox. Uh, you will just get a report about how to be a more effective communicator with them. It's not a trick. It's not horoscopy. It's not trying to get you to take advantage of those people. It's really about lifetime value of that relationship. And we have a, a, a two-week trial where people can uh, get that on you know, hundreds of people in their inbox for free. That sounds very tempting. I'm going to take you up on that. Scott, thank yeah. you very much for coming on. Of course, my pleasure. Thanks for having listened to this episode of the Minter Dialogue podcast. If you like the show and would like to support me, please consider a donation on patreon.com forward slash Interdial. You can also subscribe on your favorite podcast service. And as ever, rating and reviews are the real currency for podcasts. You'll find the show notes with over 2,000 and more blog posts on Minterdial.com. Check out my documentary film and four books, including my last one, You Lead, How Being Yourself Makes You a Better Leader. And to finish, here's a song I wrote with Stephanie Singer, A Convinced Man.
you've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.